Hello and welcome to 99 from 99, the movie podcast where we take you back to the past and cover 99 films or more from the year 1999. I'm your stubborn Kentuckian host, Michael Denniston, joined every week by madman of the airwaves, Ben Zook. Why take a journey to the past? Well, perhaps like you, we've looked out our window and seen the world grow smaller, colder, and scarier. Not here. So sit back, relax, and come back with us to a time when theaters were full, tickets were affordable, and there were so many good movies, you couldn't possibly catch them all. That's what this podcast is here to do. So we hope you take the entire trip with us, 99 episodes on the films from 1999. you to hit me as hard as you can i'm scared to close my eyes i see dead people i believe you have my papler now that i've met you would you object to never seeing me again this is not just a couch it's just our couch take the red pill and i show you how deep the rabbit hole goes leave the light on after bedtime I always thought it'd be better to be a fake somebody, a real nobody. Are we gonna air it? Of course not. Not Sorry. Let's try, what, get, let's try to get comfortable. Uh, okay. Okay. We're uh, apologizing for the double feature on this episode. Uh, so, uh, I don't want <laughs> you to bring me down on this one, Denison. <laughs> like, you know... <laughs> I made an effort for on Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, so uh, we we, we got to have some uh, oh, quid pro well, quo the, here. Uh, the internet applauds. You know, you're making effort for uh, you know a film from a director that you've liked every one of his prior films. You really well, reached hey, out. Well, hey, okay, one. this guy here, uh, Fleming, what's his name? Um, <laughs> he did the craft before this. I remember liking that. And I think he did some stuff after that seemed okay. Uh, you know, that's okay, comparable to what? Quentin Tarantino. <laughs> yeah, yes, Andrew Fleming. Uh, what did he do after? You know, the, I, I guess Hamlet Two. That's the only thing. I oh yeah, after. Well, Hamlet Two is is important in a historical uh, composition because it kind of killed the the idea of the big Sundance uh, acquisition. Um, up well, until God that bless point, him, then yeah, <laughs> he did one good thing. <laughs> uh, all right, so that that brings into question. Uh, I was going to ask you which one. Which one are we starting with? We're starting with Dick. Let's start with Dick. Really, because it comes out after Drop Dead. Gorgeous. I don't care. What? I don't have a preference. We can do whatever. Right? <laughs> I I want to save Dick for later because I assume that'll be the one that you just go off the rails. I was trying to think of a of a good. Uh, joke for for you saying you wanted to save dick so but i couldn't i'm sure it's already used in the film because you know they, they really lean on that every year in the small town of mount rose minnesota a special competition takes place. I know what some of your big city no bra wearing hairy legged women libbers might say. They might say that a pageant is old fashioned and demeaning to the girls. No, I think you boys are going to find something a little bit different here in Montrose. But for two ambitious girls. I believe this pageant teaches you what's really important in life. I dream of getting out of Montrose. I mean, guys get out of Montrose all the time for hockey scholarships. Or prison. And two jealous mothers. My daughter is the most talented contestant that Mount Rose has ever had. It's not just about beauty. 
from New Line Cinema. What kind of a moron paints stiff matters right before a pageant? <laughs> Kirstie Alley, Ellen Barkin, Kirsten Dunst, Denise Richards. Look at that one there. I think she's had a boob job. Oh, come on. She's too young for a oh, boob job. They do that at birth now. Drop Dead Gorgeous. All right. I'll, I'll introduce this one because... Sure. Uh, as I said, I, I know your your love of uh, one of the, you know, I guess the romantic lead, the heartthrob for, for Dick. Um, but I had not seen either one of these films. Um, I hate to sort of play that part, but as a 16-year-old uh, in the summer of 99, uh, I looked at these as uh, movies for girls. And uh, not for me. I You know, nothing that didn't make me upset. I didn't feel like... Uh, I, I was uh, offended anyway, like maybe some some modern uh, film criticism, if you want to call it that, from the the bros online. But I was just like, well, that's that's fine. That's for a different uh, different audience. Um, but I I didn't have fond memories, of course, of uh, seeing them because I didn't. But I always had it in my head like, oh, the, the people that uh, caught up with both of these these films, uh, you know, they they both gained like a a cultish like audience because I don't remember either one being like a hit. Uh, you know, having any sort of mainstream success, but I felt like they hit the bullseye on, on who they made these films for. Um, I I can't say that I'm I'm the audience now either, Ben. <laughs> I don't think uh, a mockumentary on uh, this uh, small town beauty pageant. Uh, even though I think most people were watching it in 2019 where it just, uh, I think it's the first time it came to streaming was just a month or so ago on Hulu. Oh really? Uh, which, hmm. Yeah. That's uh, actually pretty surprising that, uh, you know, they weren't, whoever owns the rights to this, you know, we're not trying to make a buck putting it on some sort of streaming service. Um, I did notice that when I was watching it on Hulu that, uh, the quality was not that great. So I don't, I don't think this one, <laughs> I don't think they've come back and done any sort of restoration on drop dead gorgeous. Um, I I could see some people now like digging it though because the the office uh brought I guess like the uh, the the mockumentary style that we saw in you know films like uh Best in Show or um you know Waiting for Guffman uh to the mainstream. So this might have been on the outskirts this style in 1999 especially putting it uh, in a teen comedy, but I think now it probably would would actually play better. But it still doesn't play that well for me. What about yourself? So I, I, I saw this on TV not long after after it came out, probably probably towards the end of 1999. Uh, and I remember enjoying it a lot more than I than I did on this rewatch. You know, on you know, on paper, the mockumentary style, the the cynicism and the dark humor and everything would, would seem to be something right up my alley. But I think I think a lot of it just falls flat. Uh, and, and you know, that's not to say that, you know, I think Kirsten Dunst does some pretty admirable work and Allison Janney and Kirstie Alley, like, you know, they're all, they, they give it their best and everything. I'm kind of, I'm just kind of surprised by how unfunny it is uh, <laughs> for the there most we part. Go. We're being um, so negative on this one. <laughs> well, <laughs> you know, and I'm just okay. coming off of listening to, before this recording on my ride home, I was listening to our Eyes Wide Shut conversation and I was like, wow, this is this is our masterpiece episode. I mean, obviously we're, you know, we're, we're picking the, the, the best possible fruit there, I guess with Stanley Kubrick film, but I was like, well, you know, we're, we're like, you know, glowing in our praise and there's like so much to dig into. Uh, I'm like, well, I hope we don't go back to our petty ways. And, <laughs> and here we are with drop dead gorgeous. I was really hoping that you would enjoy this. Cause I didn't have a lot, a lot of positivity in my viewing of it. 
Well, so you brought up Waiting for Guffman. I think the big difference here between that movie and this movie is that you really identify with, like, as as much as you are laughing at those characters in Waiting for Guffman, you're also you're also kind of seeing yourself in their shoes, uh, particularly Parker Posey, I would say. Uh, it, it, you know, because she ends up, you know, just not really having much of a future and all that. And you can, there's a, there's a bit of a reality uh, there in that movie that isn't really presented in Drop Dead Gorgeous at all. I would say the only character we come close to getting any of that would be Kirsten Dunst. And I think the movie has a really bad step story-wise by kind of peaking, uh, w- you know, way too early and then having a extended third act that is very boring uh, where we're not all about to, when the float goes up. Uh, uh, I guess well, spoiler alert. Spoil- let's spoiler alert for dropped. It's just you, you just said it just hit streaming. There might be you know people who want to <laughs> check it out. Uh, so just to sum it up before we end, we we go into spoiler territory. Yeah, I liked it when I was younger. I I, I don't care much for it today, and I'm surprised by that. I'm surprised. So there's a whole section on its cult status on wikipedia which uh initially i was like oh cool you know that that fit with the narrative i had in my head uh without having any experience with it but there's a writer for uh teen vogue that um praised this and condemned the teen rom rom-com tropes of other movies released that year like she's all that fine and 10 things i hate about you which kind of <laughs> raised an eyebrow from me that uh, you know that that was seen as a you know, horrific thing for for teenagers to be watching 10 things i hate about you uh and the reasoning was that this film drop dead gorgeous uh he describes as a wild absurdly portrayed story that's fundamentally about small town struggles and overcoming the adversity adversity of being born <laughs> into a class that lacks opportunities to ultimately earn the life you've dreamed of for yourself for, for yourself it's yeah. unabashed weirdness and mockumentary style filmmaking made it an immediate cult classic i don't know what he's talking about here really. yeah i don't really get that and I, and I would have to contend that i think 10 things i hate about you is a lot more popular with with people today sure uh, and so okay going into spo- full-on spoiler territory i remember really enjoying this scene where the float goes up in flames and denise richards is burned to a crisp and everything <laughs> and, and, you know, and it's a surprising turn and yeah. but I, but, it, but it's like well why doesn't the film end there why does the film go why does the film's biggest set piece you know happen at the 60 minute mark and then we have 30 minutes of worthless story uh, of, of Kirsten Dunst going to to state and people getting sick and blah 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 all this stuff that it just isn't it doesn't even come close to being you know as visually memorable uh, as the float yeah. burning up. So. You can't have uh, Denise Richards' mother setting her on fire in front of the entire town and <laughs> none of them being that upset about it because they hate <laughs> this mother and daughter so much. And then yeah, top it with... Uh, you know, going to state and all the contestants getting food poisoning, or you know, the this company that's supporting this this pageant uh, goes under. Um, it, I, I don't know. It's like it's strange they did not have the confidence in wanting to see the comeuppance of the the villains here and feeling that that was not good enough. Now you're already, I feel like they're giving away uh, the entire bag far too early with uh, with these kids being killed off. Uh, just so Denise Richards can win a pageant. Like, obviously, I know that tonally they're going for that sort of, sort of absurd, sort of Heather style uh, mm-hmm. humor, but they also, like, 
I, I guess now I'm going to talk shit about people who like have rediscovered this, but it's like, so I'm guessing you've never seen Heathers because it's like, I can't imagine that this one, uh, here, here's another review in this little cult status section uh, where Adam White of the independent uh, praised it as a radical departure from teen movies of the late nineties, stating that it was made for a generation of freaks and outsiders whose ambitions, oddities, queerness, and poverty were otherwise ignored by anything in the mainstream. I, <laughs> I, I feel, I find Julie Stiles and you know, like in our previous episode on 10 things that I mm-hmm. hate about you, You're I really negative. was, yeah. yeah, I was. <laughs> and I, I actually found myself being offended because I'm like, I'm pretty sure that she was way more of an outsider than any of these, like, vanilla boring people than are like you know kirsten dunce is the 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 rocky to i guess denise richards apollo creed in this particular scenario but it's not like she's like the most engaging girl where it's like you know she's she's like the freak show who's been picked on her whole life she seems you know she's pretty mm-hmm. as kirsten dunce mm-hmm. is she has young men that have a crush on her she just seems to come from uh you know a a poor background and but not even poor compared to the rest of the students just compared to kirsty alley and denise richards so I don't understand where they're they're gleaning all this like oddity and this you know from from this particular story uh, and it does <laughs> I really hate to do this to people but I you know that, then I do start to question exactly if they're just like you know are they just being posers when they pick up these like failed films and say no 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 this spoke to me and you don't get it I I agree with you I just think it's just not that funny and there are other things that have done this better before and they're not even that long ago Heather's was what ten years before this. Mm-hmm. And, and waiting for Gutman <laughs> is 1996, 97. Yeah. So. Well, I'm not going to go that far that, you know, teen girls should be <laughs> into waiting for Guffman necessarily. Well, it's a very, it's, it's presented very similarly with, you sure. know, the, with the interviews and everything in the small town and the quirkiness. Uh, I mean, I thought, I think that, I think they were definitely uh, modeling themselves after, after that for sure. I'm just, I'm just saying that, uh, you know, uh, one owner writer was pretty cool. Christian Slater was pretty cool. Like you could definitely lean into, I, I get that film as far as wanting to take down the, the elite, uh, especially at that, that age when you're, you know, trying to discover yourself, but you know, it, it's, uh, here, these, these characters, like, you know, none of them, it's interesting. None of them seem to have that much of a passion for winning this pageant, except for the character that we villainized, Denise Richards. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so the movie does a weird thing where I don't like her and I don't like her mom because they are killing the other contestants, which seems senseless because all they really have are three judges that they just sort of get under their thumb, and that's it. So even when Kirsten Dunst is able to compete and appears, I guess, to be more talented, it doesn't really matter. So I don't even understand the conceit that they have to kill off other people other than they just enjoy it. But you know the the other thing is well she cares so much about it maybe she just she should just win it w- it would be like uh you know going back to election there is something to tracy flick for that you know winning that election providing so much joy and it's like instead uh the film would posit like no 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 it should actually go to you know your your matinee idol of the of 1999 it should go to chris klein um because you know for whatever reason we we should take that from tracy flick and I, I don't I don't get that here. I don't I don't think that Kirsten Dunst it really like matters too much for. She's just like, oh, that would kind of be a fun thing to do. Same with Brittany Murphy and some of the other characters here. They're just like are along for the ride. Yeah, I think you put way more analysis and thought into into your, your reaction. I tend to uh, do that when I'm than agitated I, than I do <laughs> than I did. Uh, I I enjoyed the one scene where the former winner who's been who's been injured uh, has to come out and sing. 
uh, smile though your heart is breaking uh, but she she has to mouth it and everything and lips I thought that was funny um, yeah there's a little so even even some of these scenes with the with the townsfolk they do center on uh, like a, a a character who who you know who is mentally challenged and is you know and I'm trying to get into the movie and like I'm trying to not be uh, some super hypersensitive uh, tw- 2019 uh, person, but but they really do kind of none of that's very clever or, or no. interesting, um, and it just kind of goes on for you know for a long time, and yeah, a lot a lot of a lot of things that I thought would have held up uh, better, but did not. I guess the depressing way to end this little portion of the episode is, you know, I still hold to like, yeah, I still think people will like enjoy seeing this because, uh, boy, do they, they love the office. They love it so much that getting a, a team pageant movie version of people talking to the camera. And I mean, you do have a lot of, you know, you have Amy Adams in a, a very early uh, appearance for her. Um, but yeah, I didn't, I didn't find it amusing. And I, I was like, could not wait for be over. So when you were talking about that, like third act, Oh, it was like torture. Oh, for I, me. Know. I, I know. I know. I thought at the very least, I'm like, oh, that's kind of a, that's a cool way to end that. Like, you know, set everything <laughs> on fire and that that's dark and mildly amusing. And now it's, now it's done. Um, yeah, just, but you are, you are making really me, you are making me feel really bad and guilty because I was watching the office literally right before <laughs> we started to record this. And now, now I feel like I'm just some uncultured rube, you know, <laughs> talking to this, the great sophisticated Michael Denniston. <laughs> I uh no I I'm one of the the people that uh when iTunes had it on sale the complete series for like 20 bucks 25 bucks you know I I I purchased it cuz I'm uh I'm building my little digital bunker against uh, the, the the great streaming wars so no I I have nothing against the office I just uh I could understand uh people sort of giving it a try on streaming uh I still highly doubt people saying this is like the uh the great you know teen uh, saga of the nineties. I, I think that was, you know, that's clickbait is probably the, the kindest thing I can just say about their opinions. There lifts in Watergate. They were there the night of the break. in They know anything, sir. I have met yams with more going on upstairs than those two. Uh, <laughs> I'll take care of it. I've got a way with young people. They trust me. They knew he was big. Call me Dick. Guess what happened to us? They knew he was powerful. How would you two be interested in being official White House dog walkers? What do you think? And they thought they could trust him. Who the hell are you? Oh, why were they shredding all that paper? Paper mache is a hobby of mine. But that was before they learned the truth. This summer... Carl Bernstein, Washington Post. Tell me your story. We, um, know things about Dick. What? What? What did you just say? I mean, President. Comes the almost true story of two best friends. Four score and seven years ago, our forefathers did something. I don't know what. Kirsten Dunst, Michelle Williams, Jim Brewer, Will Ferrell, Dave Foley, Bruce McCulloch, Harry Shear, and Dan Hedaya. Feeling lightheaded. As Dick. Hi. Get the cookies. Yeah. And so on that note, let's move on to uh, here we go. what I consider, <laughs> you know, the film of 1999. Uh, Goodbye, Dick, Eyes Wedge Shut. 1999, <laughs> uh, released on one of those weekends, you know, July something, I'm sure. Do you have it in August front of 4th. you? <laughs> August 4th. August 4th. Yep. Okay. Uh, yeah. The You know, I saw this in theaters. I was like, 
you know, I was there on, on opening weekend to, to, you know, to support the team. Uh, and <laughs> I, I like, you know, I, I loved it then. I found it really hysterical. Can I, um, can I, let me interrupt. Sure. Uh, when, when did this Richard Nixon uh, thing happen oh, for you? Well, I think it happened. Pro- I, okay. So I remember him dying in 1995. And I remember that being like the first time I was really aware of who he was. And then I watched the Oliver Stone film. Um, and I think I probably, now I didn't watch JFK until well after that. So uh, that's kind of funny to think about, but I guess that is I didn't. strange. Yeah. Yeah, I guess so. I don't know. I guess Nixon was on HBO a lot at that time. Um, and yeah, I really, I really loved that film and, you know, really loved the character, uh, you know, <laughs> but it's just, interesting because when I was reading about the, the writers here, it seems like they were inspired you know, by his passing and they were, uh, from what I read, uh, were kind of annoyed by you know people coming to maybe some kinder, more understanding conclusions about what drove Richard Nixon, and so that they were they were attempting to do some sort of comedic takedown of the man. So I'm you know I'm interested in your your take on it because you seem to like the you're con- the far more nuanced version of it. <laughs> you're confusing my Nixon obsession with being that that I see Richard Nixon as some sort of you know godlike Jesus figure, you know. Um, I just find him to well, be. What was the film I find that you him to be like? an incredibly interesting historical persona, in tra- especially in terms of uh, of America and the United States. Uh, and, and I think we 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 try to kind of shove him under the rug, uh, but there there's a lot that was revealed during the you know from the Watergate scandal uh, and and just him uh, him who he was at that point in time. You know, it's it's endlessly fascinating for me, and so Look, I just was a big fan of the the Altman movie with uh, Philip Baker Hall, and that's what that's what that's my impression of you is uh, you know, I remember you uh, not really caring for Secret Honor because you didn't really like that uh, portrayal of uh, Nixon. I, I think the, I, I think that play is just not that good, and I and I'm not a huge fan of one person plays in general they all tend to kind of they all tend to kind of end up being the same thing i don't know if you've ever noticed this it always just ends up with the person screaming and yelling uh you know at the I third think that's act fine for nixon i think it's you know it works i could he, see he it work he was a professional at that so <laughs> philip baker hall is very good philip baker hall is very we're getting off track though you want a yeah. two-hander you you want michelle williams and uh yet again uh kirsten dunst here yet again and, uh, who yeah. i love seeing both these people these are both really terrific actresses uh you know michelle williams has remained popular today kirsten dunst i guess not so much i can't i can't remember the last thing she was, she was in midnight special wasn't she Yes, I just I don't I can never tell where your slightly mean things are going to come from. It's it's the truth. <laughs> what was the last thing she was in besides Midnight Special? Well, what? okay, like uh okay, yeah, it's I guess it's been a bit. Like I was I was thinking like, well, Melancholia, you know, she kind of went like sort of the uh the, the cool so, sort of cinephile well, uh trip. Newsflash, that, that, that was 8 years ago. <laughs> that's I was about to say that. I was like, okay, so that's uh but yes, yeah, she was in Midnight Special in a pretty thankless part. Well, the Beguiled. She was in that. Oh yeah, no, that didn't work for me. That was there's there's twenty dollars that I, I I'm gonna ask her if I ever meet her. I'm gonna ask for her to pay a portion of that back to me. Um, Not uh, Miss Coppola. 
Kirsten Dunst, you're holding personally responsible for that. Okay. I'll hold every single person responsible. That <laughs> that was that should have been a slam dunk because the Clint Eastwood film is so funny and entertaining and good and interesting. And and, the, and they turned it into like art house, you know, in cure for insomnia. He still <laughs> throws the hell out of that turtle in that sequence, and I, I still love that. But I, I agree with you. I prefer the Eastwood version. It's uh, pulpy, and uh, Coppola's is not. But Dick, that's Dick. what we're talking about. We've talked about everything except for Dick. Uh, <laughs> so going back to you Dick. Know, I think this, this most of our like... reviews would say that we have talked Dick <laughs> every episode. <laughs> okay. So go ahead. Okay. So back to Dick. I just find this to be like great comfort food. Uh, you know, this is the way I think comedy should be. They're light and funny and short and full of good actors and no one is gunning for an Oscar here or anything like that. But they're, you know, it, it, it really holds your attention from scene to scene and keeps you laughing. And, uh, uh, I, I just go on end, endlessly about this. So, and I think they do kind of define, what the film is with the with the two classroom scenes that we have with Kirsten Dunst and Michelle Williams having giving they're they're reporting their essay of being the official White House dog walkers and and we get one reaction from uh, Michelle Williams's uh, teacher you know which is that she's horribly mortified uh, by you know by these lies that have been make, made up and then we get the other reaction from the more easygoing teacher who who's like wow you've combined fantasy and satire and mm, yeah. everything uh, and you know it's kind of, it's kind of funny because you know we, we've been talking a lot about uh, historical, you know, and, and anachronisms and, and, you know, when is it appropriate to use them and when, and, and when is it good for a narrative to stray away from the real facts of a story? And w- what's interesting here is that, of course, six years from this point, uh, Deep Throat, the, the identity of Deep Throat is revealed to be Mark Felt, and it kind of ruins, you know, this whole thing. Uh, but I still really, I still really enjoy this film, uh, and I can't. You know, it's hard to explain. I, I'm, I really think that uh, it probably did not ruin this movie. Like I, <laughs> the biggest, like as I'm watching it, I'm, I'm bored to tears by this, and I, uh, I, I do like the sequence you mentioned. So I, I kind of hate you in this moment because I was like, well, I've got a couple nice things to say, and you just took one of them from me. The other one is I do like how Will Ferrell plays Bob Woodward. Uh-huh. It's just like. <laughs> You know, the ultimate sort of like fame whore, like, you know, once it once all of the, uh, the the credibility, once all of the acclaim for this. And he just, you know, he just stumbles into it and he's, he's sort of led, you know, led astray by these two two girls and just fails upwards. And I, I liked that that look at, you know, that particular legend. Um, I, you know, I, as I was watching it, I'm like, I this is so obvious why this bombed when this came out. Like, not to because, me. I still, I still, well, am just <laughs> you were about a strange, uh, you know. strange teenager, <laughs> like for sure. But you know, it, it, you know, it's opening weekend. It grossed two point two million dollars, uh, coming in twelfth place. I thought, weekend. I thought for sure that there were some extra zeros that they had forgotten to put <laughs> onto that to that number. And you know, I'm still, you know, quite convinced that that's what happened. I well, you know, I guess that's one cool thing about doing this project was there was a year where they're like, hey, let's put uh, the girl from Dawson's Creek and uh, and uh, Kirsten Dunst because I'm I'm sure that was the, the thinking there with Michelle Williams at the time, who's you know come she's she's gone on to become a very acclaimed actress. 
and uh, we'll do a comedy, a teen comedy about Richard Nixon. And I'm just, you know, looking at the results of it. I there were not many teenagers, other than the the one I'm now speaking to, 20 years later, that would have any sort of enthusiasm to see a comedy about Richard Nixon. And it's one of those things where it's so clear to me is like, who is this for? That you know, the audience. Me. Like it the, was for me. It was meant for me. The adult when, audience who wants Dan to see Hedaya, a comedy about when Dan Hedaya as Richard Nixon is pulling out those dossiers on Kirsten Dunst and Michelle Williams. But now that you mention it, you know a lot of people are talking about this Watergate thing, and they all say that you lied. And I'm Jewish. I know. I had to check out. There's probably more in there than you know about yourselves. Even grades? Yeah, grades. Your parents' income tax returns. Overdue library books. Like, I just lose it. I think it's hysterical. And, and, and yeah, we've had a lot of discussions about how subjective comedies are. But I really, I want you, we have to find an out-and-out -out comedy that, from 1999 that you actually like, Deniston. We have We've to. had it. You what? just didn't agree what with was me. It? The, the dinner game. That is not, and that's an art house film. <laughs> is, it's not, it's only art house because it's, uh, you know, subtitled. I, I really doubt the French think like, all right, that's, you know, under the skin, <laughs> the, the, the dinner game and that. Um, I, you know, it's just, uh, so the opening weekend, you know, I mentioned probably didn't help it, but, uh, I, I I think this is one of those things where I can admire the audacity to put out something that's so wrongheaded. Uh, but it's, you know, it's just something that's not for me and, uh, it, you know, it never was going to be for me. And this, this is clearly one that, you know, probably would never be made. I don't, I don't even think you know, you could do it now because we're just getting mm -hmm. further and further away mm -hmm. from Nixon. Uh, so I don't know if the eighties, you know, if you're doing a teen comedy about, uh, the sort of like strange crush that at least Michelle Williams character, uh, has for, for Richard Nixon initially, I could see it maybe working then, but I think they just, they just waited far too long or you know, well, maybe they just thought the, uh, the, the buzz and the, the coming off the heat of Oliver Stone's film, you know, four years prior would just, uh, allow them to, to get more eyeballs on this, but it's just so, so clearly like the wrong move. So, here. so none of the, none of the Nixon properties have ever made any money and it's weird uh, outside of movies where he doesn't actually really appear like all the president's men or the post those mm -hmm. made money because he's not really in it. But when you go to secret honor, secret honor did not make any money. Uh, Nixon 1995 didn't make any money. Uh, Frost Nixon, even with its five Oscar nominations, you know, did, did really poorly at the box office. There's just a weird aversion uh, that obviously I don't understand uh, that people have <laughs> to uh, cinematic presentations of Richard Nixon. I've never understood it. And it's interesting because he was so widely parodied when he was in office, more, more so than any other president prior. That, but then like directly afterwards, it was, it was, just, like, it was just like a dead zone. Um, even the Mark Felt story got you know no no traction, no traction. At oh, all. the Liam Neeson movie that was. It wasn't uh, very good. So I mean that's, okay. that's no mystery there. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, they tried this again. What Elvis and Nixon was a few years. Yeah, ago. that's another one that failed. Yeah, I didn't see it. But uh, there's something about uh, you know Americans. We don't uh, deal well with uh, at least in you know feature film presentation uh, with uh, with our own shame mm -hmm. historically. Like mm -hmm. you know like. And this is 
different as far as the the, the genre end, but like you know they they struggled really to deal with uh, the the you know the the invasion of Iraq in the you know mid two thousands, and you know there were uh, Jarhead from Sam Mendes, mm-hmm. even though that was talking about uh, events from the early nineties. You had uh, the Paul Haggis film with Tommy Lee Jones. It just seemed like there was a string of stuff where Hollywood's like, we're going to crack it this time. And Americans were like, no, I'm not going to the movies to see this. And it's, you know, it's very different, but Nixon is, you know, a part of that past. I think a lot of people probably would just be like, I don't like that guy. So even if you're, even if you're like making fun of him or you're, you know, making light of this, uh, you know, enough of that, just, just tired of hearing about it. And I, and despite your hatred for it, I think this movie would play really well. for baby boomers who hate Richard Nixon. I, I think it would play much better than either, uh, than either, you know, Nixon or secret honor. Uh, I, I think those, both those movies are maybe a little too complex uh, for, for people who just want, you know, a Nixon hate fest. Uh, he is presented as kind of a cartoon here and it's, but it's funny to me, all the little details that they carried over, like uh, the, his, his secretary, uh, like you wouldn't think, think of it, to notice it in this movie, but you know, she was a like widely, that is very much how she was seen as this, uh, kind of delusional, uh, de- you know, devoted, uh, person to Nixon. Uh, and, and so just like little details like that really, really make the movie stand, you know, stand the test of time and make it oh, something that I, I watch one, quite often. One other thing I liked about the movie uh, when they, you know, they let Nixon be Nixon, like the the the, the great like West Wings, <laughs> yeah, uh, Bartlett, episode Bartlett, where Bartlett, Bartlett. yeah, uh, it's when the girls confront him about his like potty mouth and his betrayal of you know if he actually like loves the dog or not. We heard that tape. What'd you hear? You kick checkers and you're prejudiced and you have a potty mouth. You're a bad man. You stinking little idiots, get the hell out of here! You don't ever come back here again, okay? You don't mess with the big boys! And he, you know, he just turns on a dime with yep. them. Where he's, you know, and I love that he's he's insulting these like stupid girls for him being in his presence and like you know taking up his time with these like ridiculous accusations that you know matter not to him. And uh, that was one moment that. Probably the only moment that it caused me to laugh out loud. I did like the the dual classroom sequences, and I, I like Will Ferrell as idiot Bob Woodward. But when yeah, it, I think it, I would have liked a, a meaner comedy where Nixon is a little bit is more of a prominent role, uh, riffing and uh, just attacking people, lashing out with his potty mouth. I would have dug that. I guess so. I don't know. I really, I, I, I didn't know what to expect when I saw it as a kid, and I was just always, I've, I've always been really uh, sufficiently whelmed. Uh, by it is what I would say, and, and as I've grown tweet. up, as the I've grown up, and as uh, as I've you know watched all the President's Men multiple times, like I see how Will Ferrell and Bruce McCullough's roles here are just as much a parody of all the President's Men uh, as they are of of you know Woodward and Bernstein, and and I love that aspect of it too. Uh, I I love the feel good element here of the ending, which is what I which is the reason I would think you know baby boomers who really hated Richard Nixon would, would probably love seeing, you know, that and really enjoying that kind of, you know, um, cinematic comeuppance. And, you know, there's so much to I enjoy about it. So they much. Just, you know, when this was released uh, in theaters, they probably just would have felt way too awkward to go see this yeah. movie with two mm-hmm. teenage girls on there, like or <laughs> something unseemly about, you know, paying to see Michelle Williams and uh, that, you know, in the advertising, you know, they're, they're going to lean into that to get the teen audience where it's, you know, them and their uh, American flags sort of like, 
uh, bikinis is what it looks like on the poster, but I mean, it's not exactly that. But, uh, but okay, one you, more th- th- that led into another thing that I love about it is this great soundtrack, this great '70s soundtrack of, oh, no. of hearing "You're So Vain" while they're while they're creating those costumes mm. and everything. I don't like this. I don't like the direction because you cut me off. I was getting ready to do my one more thing that I just thought of. Um, okay, is... Columbo. Just <laughs> <laughs> well, it's how many kids in the hall uh, members are in this film? Um, are there three or four? I don't know if you ever watched that uh, Canadian uh, comedy. I uh, did, thing. Was, but okay. Bruce McCullough and Dave Foley. I think that's it. Am I forgetting someone? I don't know him by name, but I think you. I think you are. Um, was Jim Brewer in Kids in the Hall? I, no, although I think he is Canadian. Well, um, you know, guilt you by association. Right. And so is Ryan Reynolds. A lot of Canadians in this same thing. Oh, uh, Harry Shear is he Canadian? It looks Canadian. <laughs> so. Then yet again, a strangely insulting thing to say, so I guess. The other, uh, other scene I really, no, the other American. scene I really love is Saul Rubinek as Henry Kissinger uh, when he fought, when he sees Betsy and Arlene in the White House and they're being, uh, you know, dragged out by Secret Service members. And he comes up and says, "Oh, I'll take responsibility for the for these women." And then he goes right into defensive mode. And says, "Oh well, don't look at me like that." And and then he walks down the down the hallway with uh, these girls on both of his arms, which 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 you know that's exactly Henry Kissinger's persona during the Nixon era. And so just the the number of little things they are able to tie into this one story, I've always been really impressed by. I'll be impressed with you if you uh, play us out with the kids in the hall theme music instead of you know any of that seventies. Uh, why know, do you, why do you hate the seventies? Literally, this movie's soundtrack, half of it is on the soundtrack for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. <laughs> hmm, I don't know about that, but... Uh, well, I just said it, so maybe I'm wrong. <laughs> uh, I really like this freewheeling <laughs> Ben Zook. Just, you know, just firing without checking, you know, whatever. It's, it sounds good. Uh, you're adding zeros to the, the box office total of this uh, failed experiment to uh, make uh, Richard Nixon palatable to uh, teen girls. Uh, yeah, I just like the kids in the hall theme. I just think it, like if I could imagine us having like a podcast like theme, I, th- I would go with that if I could if I could steal that from them. So please, I beg of you, uh, end the show with that and not uh, you're so vain. I'll keep you in suspense. <laughs> I'm sure our listeners have already checked out, but uh, do you have any final thoughts or do you want to go to our, our trivia game where you uh, keep them in suspense? I think you're going to have to use trivia on me because I don't have the thing up. Uh, but, uh, you know, I would just say I, I think this movie has played better on, like, Comedy Central and everything. I think, you know, once it reached there, it, it did uh, find an audience. In it. And I've heard people talk more positively about this since it's theatrical release and it did get it did get a blu-ray release from uh shout factory last year i believe so you know there is there is still some uh, interest in, you know in this title and so well shout is still uh, far away from becoming the criterion collection with this sort of nonsense they're putting back out there you ready for your uh, clue sure <laughs> Uh, this is a film, uh, unfortunately, uh, maybe for our listeners, we'll see if we can uh, find some new material that you and I have discussed on a different podcast. Uh, that would be Deep Blue Sea, directed by oh, okay. Rennie, by auteur Rennie Harlan. Correct? Yeah. 
uh, correct in calling him an auteur? I don't. I don't know. Um, I'll, I'll say yes. That was sort of a uh, joke, but you know. But actually, you know he, he actually is. I mean, from the technical definition of auteur, he he would be. So we're just you know full of hot takes here on this one. So I don't know if I'm looking forward to this episode. I'm gonna say no because we, we have talked Jesus, about four. <laughs> Don't well, be too this, enthusiastic. This, <laughs> look, I mean, this has been the, that conversation has probably been, you know, uh, you know, almost four years ago, three years and change. Uh, so it's not like this is something I've seen recently, but it's recent enough that it's not going to be a complete rediscovery uh, from, you know, for all these films that I've either not seen or not seen in 20 years. So um, I don't know. I, I hope that it uh, it plays well for our conversation on 99 from 99. But I, you know, I think I, you have been in a specific mood for this type of film. So hopefully when I sit down and watch it, I'm in the mood for that. It's got to be better than these two, though. I mean, it's certainly for me. All right. All right. All right, mister. Um, you know, at least, you know, at least it's a monster movie. And, and, a, and, a, and, you know, a few episodes ago, you said you didn't like monster movies. So now we yeah. have, you know, yeah, I don't think you're really like making this end on a more positive note. But what is is that sweet Kids in the Hall theme music playing right now as we're talking? I could just edit out every single time that you've uh, talked about the Kids in the Hall music. I think the the better joke is to just ignore my wishes <laughs> and just to let me think that it's playing, but clearly it's not. Done. Uh, all right. Well, that that was you know my last mistake after watching Drop Dead Gorgeous and Dick. So yes, please join us next time for Deep Blue Sea. I am uh, suitably excited. And if you'd like to continue the conversation with us, feel free to do so on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook at 99from99. 99